Hey, you guys, how are you? I am really good, super excited. And first I wanted to thank you. I got so much um, wonderful feedback on the new direction of the of the show, Life Immersed. Um, and I thank you for your encouragement, for um, sharing with me the things that you love and the things that you want me to do more of. And I, you know, I just wanted to just take a hot minute for the people who are still listening through this shift. Thanks for hanging in. Um, we're going to have a great time. So a um, couple of things I want to talk about before we dive into our story today. Um, and I, I don't think I ever talked about it on the show, but there is a gathering of immersive theater creators, virtual reality, theater people, um, game design, um, augmented reality, creators and designers uh Every year, it used to be called the Immersive Design Summit. This year, it is called Here Fest, and it's happening in Pasadena. And I have a funny little history with um, with this um, with this festival. So, not this past year, but the year before, um, I really wanted to go. And it was, you know, it was when it was still the Immersive Design Summit, and tickets were really limited, and you had to be like really somebody air quotes to get in. Um, so I applied and you know, when you do like a half-hearted application to something, because you kind of feel like in your heart, you maybe don't deserve to be there. Um, I, I did that. So I applied, but I didn't really put my heart into it. And then, you know, fast forward to this year, I applied a few months ago and so much has changed, right? First, I have this show, right? In my, in my, um, corporate world, I'm doing, you know, experiential marketing, um, events and content. Um, my coaching practice, I'm doing, you know, immersive coaching adventure programs um, for groups of, of people. And like my life is so much about this world. And when I applied this year, I felt like I, I wrote a, an awesome reason why I should go. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty cool in the sense that I felt like I wasn't like asking, oh, can I please be at your thing? I thought you guys are my people and I need to be there in order to, you know, continue to learn and grow and, um, you know, do amazing things in the world. So I applied and you guys, I got in. I'm so excited. I'm going to the Here Festival, Here Summit, actually, it's called Summit and Festival. It's in Pasadena, March 27th through 29th. I think um, applications and tickets are still on sale, I think. Um, but you can, uh, the website is herefest.com if you want to take a look at it. Um, but like there are speakers, I'm just looking at the website right now. So Bruce Vaughn, the keynotes and horizon speakers, Bruce Vaughn from Dreamscape VR, incredible experience. Um, Sarah Ellis from the Royal Shakespeare Company. I mean, hello. Um, Michael Tara Garver, um, who, you know, what has done so much. She was um, instrumental in, you know, first launching Sleep No More. And she's done so much since then. Incredible speaker. Um, let's see, activations and installations. Um, Jenny Weinbloom from Meow Wolf, another incredible um, uh, place out in Santa Fe. David Wally from Myco2, can't wait to hear what he has to say. Um, we got, let's see, who else we have? Um, Tara Ocon from Then She Fell, can't wait to um, to uh, listen to, to that talk. And I think there was somebody from Sleep No More. Let me see, straight up Sleep No More. Um, Garrett, was it Garrett? Let me, I can't find it, but I think there's someone from, um, someone from Sleep No More. And then virtual reality, we have uh, Maxwell Plank from Adventure Lab and so many more. Those are just like a few of the many, many, many speakers. Um, 
and activations that are going to be at the festival. So I'm so, so flippant excited that I'm going to that. Like I feel so um, like I'm, I'm meant to be there. You know, you know, when like you just feel like you're meant to be somewhere and I got in and it was just really, really incredible. Um, so I want to share that with you guys. And then I, um, I know I announced last week that we're going to have a lineup of some really cool interviews on the podcast and I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx anything, but I am finalizing. Um, I think I have the date. It's going to be in March. Um, but I'm finalizing the times, um, interviewing two incredible, um, immersive theater, uh, space creators. Um, and I'll tell you more. I don't want to jinx it. So, um, but I'm so flippant excited. Um, for this interview. And um, just again, thanks for all your support and wanting me to stay the course, really diving deeper into, into immersive theater, how it can change lives and the lessons that I learn and what how it helps me activate in my life in different ways. Um, so diving into the story, you know, this episode takes us back uh, to the winter of 2018. And the, the reason I was really inspired to tell this story was because, was because this weekend there was really, you know, I was really thinking about some of the really great things happening in my life and the not so great things happening in my life. And I was just having this struggle this weekend, making sense of it all side by side, right? And how to, how things, really good things and not so good things exist side by side. Um, and I, I got, you know, the, popped in my mind to tell you the story about shadow play, um, which it was a, a really cool immersive um, experience that I had in, in December of 2018. And that's when, and I think it was December, it might've been November, but I can't, I can't remember exactly. Um, but that's when we were first starting to create the original growth lab content, um, for last year. And I was in New York city for meetings, um, and my buddy, Neil Polachek, who used to do the Growth Lab with us, he did it last year. He's not with us this year, and we're, we're really bummed because we're going to miss him. Um, but he was instrumental in bringing just the whole thing to life. And I can, and Neil is like, I kind of convinced him, but forced him a little bit to go to this immersive show with me called Shadow Play. And it, the show is about uh, J.M. Barry, who is the author of Peter Pan. And sort of like the magic and the darkness around not just the story of Peter Pan, but the story of J.M. Barry. And it was down in lower Manhattan um, and it was put on by Access Theater, uh, the creative team. I'm just looking at who was on it. Rachel Garnett, Kaylee Schuler, Dale Schrader and Hannah Schrader want to make sure the creators um, and producers get their props. Super important. And the premise of the show is like, under the counseling of like this West End producer, Charles Froman, James Matthew Barry has cordially invited all of us, the guests, to his home and his private study. And he's looking for our, you know, assistance on a new work for the stage. And he introduces us to this newly dreamed up character of Peter Pan and the magnificent home and, and space that Neverland is. But as you can imagine, um, and if any of you know the story of, um, of J.M. Barry, you know, he had this really beautiful imagination, but he also had a lot of doubts and fear, fears and really horrible tragedies that followed him all throughout his life. And, and it's in the telling of this story of shadow play that, you, that we were able to experience the wonderfulness of Neverland and his in real life things that were happening to him and, and how they played off each other. And this really beautiful, fun, but also dark and introspective work was, was really neat. 
Um, Neil and I had an amazing dinner, by the way. I don't know if any of you ever get to New York, but there's a really cool restaurant um, down in lower Manhattan called uh, the Antique Garage. Really, really great food. Um, we went there first before our show. And so we arrived um, to the building. I think it was up like, I don't know, five flights of stairs you know, knocked on the door or whatever. We were escorted into J.M. Barry's uh, library and we were greeted by these really fun and funny servants. We were offered um, tea and biscuits. There's always like tea in like these immersive shows, <laughs> like drinking tea, like something shit's going to go down if you start drinking tea. I don't know. But um, so we waited in this sort of antechamber, his library for um, for him to arrive. And, we, and you know, the guests were mingling and maybe, I don't know, there was maybe... 15 or 20 of us, I don't know, Neil will probably correct me once he listens to this, but this time, the waiting time is always my favorite, favorite, favorite time in immersive experiences, like the moment before the reveal, before crossing the threshold into the new world. And the world's going to have different rules and different energy and different things are possible, right? Different things can happen um, in this new world than can happen in real life. So I love that anticipation part. And a little backstory on James Matthew Barry. He was born in Scotland in 1860. Uh, he was one of 10 children. Um, and, and he was back then and continues to be one of the most beloved authors of all time because who doesn't know Peter Pan, right? And you know, in doing some research about him, um, which I didn't know before I really started going down this rabbit hole, he was sort of like the boy who never grew up. And it wasn't just because of his, he was really small. Like he was really, like he wasn't even five, four, you know, for a man that's on, on the short side. Um, but he also had this intense love of wild fantasies that he used to escape from his trials of real life. And he had some, he had some pretty hard trials and we're going to dive into those in a moment, but so we finished our tea. Um, the, the, a very harried James uh, M. Barry appears. And we're all offered like pages from the story, Neverland, that he's working on, sort of scripts. And he wants us to read them aloud to improv, you know, the session. And it was, and it was fun and it was funny and it was super lighthearted. Um, and then he invites us to cross the threshold and we're ushered into Neverland, which was this really whimsical, big open space when we're introduced to Peter Pan and Captain Hook and Wendy. And we spent some time in there exploring a little different vignettes and places where you could talk to the characters and interact in one in a really big room. But soon the experience turned into a choose your own adventure where we were all encouraged to follow the characters that interest us, interested us, turning it into like a, a show that has specific tracks. And we talked about tracks back when I talked about Then She Fell. I can't remember what episode it was. Um, but there were, the tracks were um, defined and not everyone got to see everything. So, um, and I want to talk about what I saw and, and um, how it led into um, the big aha the, you know, th that I had at the end of the show that really helped me this weekend as I was thinking about my life and, and everything that was going on. Um, one important thing to note that in addition to all of the characters, there were three, these additional main characters that were straight up shadows they were dressed all in black and they had kind of like this body stocking thing happening. Um, and I've read other reviews where 
people say they depicted Peter Pan's character, Wendy's character, and J.M. Barry's character as shadows. Sorry, I had to take a sip of water and I'm not editing it out. I don't care. <laughs> um, and they appeared over and over in lots of the scenes as this really constant reminder of the weight of the story and of the real life tragedies on the other side of Barry's brilliant and whimsical work. And they were very ominous and you knew when they showed up, you know, things were about to really get real. So the first experience I had about 10 of us were when we were, you know, invited to follow characters that interested us, um, 10 of us were ushered into sort of an auditorium. We were, we were encouraged to take our seats and like, it was really apparent, like some kind of show was about to happen. So soon it was revealed that um, it was J.M. Barry's real life wife, Mary, um, and it was a dinner scene where she was waiting for him. And it was really clear there was this recurring theme in their marriage that he was never really there for her. He was always writing, always off in his own private Neverland. And it was sort of like she was always waiting for him to show up. And just side note, Barry, uh, Barry's marriage does end um, in scandalous divorce. She had an affair with um, someone named Gilbert Canaan, I think. He was like 20 years younger than her. And he was also a friend of J.M. Barry. So not so cool for him. But the affair and the dinner scene plays out um, as we're sitting in this little, small little auditorium. There's Mary who's really starved for attention. And she gives this very over-the-top performance where you got a real sense of the abandonment she must have felt, always waiting for him, never knowing if he was going to show up or or which berry she was going to get. Um, it was really impactful in the sense that you you can, you got a side of his character that, well, he wrote, you know, he was really great with the stories he wrote for children showing up in his life for the people that loved him. Not so good at. Um, and you felt that, really felt that through Mary's pain. And the actress did a, a phenomenal job. Um, and after that scene, we, you know, were ushered down a, a really long, narrow, narrow hallway through a couple of rooms that kind of look like a residence, right? Um, a living room, a little um, dining area. And in this scene, um, it showcases how uh, Barry, um, when he was six years old, his older brother, David, which was his mother's favorite, David was um, definitely her favorite. Um, he died before his 14th birthday in an ice skating accident. And the way the story's told, it was kind of implicating Barry taunting his older brother, David, to get out onto the ice. Um, and he winds up falling through the ice and dying. And um, because of the grief and because of, I guess, the guilt he must have felt, uh, Barry tried to fill David's place in his mother's attentions. And, you know, he would wear David's clothes and he would whistle kind of like his older brother used to whistle. And as the scene played out, um, there was the, the stalking figure, right, that entity, the shadow, um, and there was his mom um, asking if that was David. Hey, I hear you. Is that you? And it was clear that it was Barry, and she was just imagining her older son still being, um, still being alive. And you got the sense of, at a very early age, tragedy, right, for, the, for, for uh, Barry, um, and how he, you know, the, 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 the birth of him having to create worlds where stuff like this didn't happen, 
right? Where anything was possible, where, you know, little boys could fly and go have incredible fun to overcome that grief and guilt and those horrible tragedies. So, um, and again, what, I don't want to paint the picture that it was all really dark. These parts that I'm telling you, there was really dark parts, but there was also a lot of fun and play in this. And I think when shows set out to maintain this balance, this is a great, you know, a great um, uh, showcase of how you can achieve balance, you know, having the audience engaged in really fun stuff, but also being able to tell that story in a way that moves you emotionally and you really get the depth of, of what's going on. And the last scene um, on the track that, you know, it really, I think it moved me the most. And and I went down a rabbit hole of research because of it was a scene where Peter, um, Peter Llewellyn Davies talks about the incredible cost it had on his life to be the namesake and inspiration for the story of Peter Pan. And a little backstory on Peter Llewellyn Davies was part of um, the family that Barry had become really close to. And Peter was the middle of five sons. His mom was Arthur, his, and his, his mom, his dad was Arthur, his mom was uh, Sylvia. And um, Barry befriended this family. Um, and as luck would have it, you know, the parents died, um, which was horrible of these boys. And and Dave, um, Barry sort of adopted them um, and, you know, took care of them. And Peter was the namesake and the inspiration for Peter Pan. And later in life, when Barry, you know, sort of publicly identified Peter as the source of the name for the, you know, the character, the title character in Peter Pan, um, Peter was not happy. And, and he, you know, he was known for saying, you know, that calling Peter Pan that terrible, that terrible masterpiece. And it really plagued, um, plagued him throughout his life. What, what's even more uh, horrifying is that, and I don't know if it was totally because of this, there's conflicting um, stories. And I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole and some other research, but um, David's son, uh, Ruthven, told an interviewer, um, quote, my father had mixed feelings about the whole business of Peter Pan. He accepted that Barry considered that he was the inspiration for Peter Pan, and it was only reasonable that my father should inherit everything from Barry. That was my father's expectation. It would have recompensed him for the notoriety he had experienced for being linked with Peter Pan, something that he hated. And when Barry died, he did not leave um, anything to Peter. Uh, he left everything to his secretary. And then the um, the, the rights to Peter Pan uh, were given to the Greater Ormond Street Hospital for the children in London. And still, and those, the royalties from the story still continue to um, to serve you know, that, that hospital, which is kind of cool, but Pete, uh, Peter Llewellyn Davies in real life winds up killing himself when he was 63. And I, it, you know, the whole Peter Pan thing was probably a contributing factor, but he had not a great life and he threw himself in front of a train. So, you know, after researching the, the I mean, the scene where it happened in, in shadow play, I didn't know a lot of this stuff, but even not knowing the scene um, between Peter Llewellyn Davies, it was played out with him and also the fictional quote unquote version of him, Peter Pan, who was played by an incredible character, uh, a credible actor in, in the show. It was such a heart wrenching. You could feel the angst and the pain and how much this affected his life. And I thought 
the production did an incredible job really bringing this character to life because you don't really hear about him, you know, in mainstream when people talk about Peter Pan. Um, so just thanks to, to the production for really portraying this in a way that made me want to go find out more about it. And I love when any kind of theater, but particularly immersive theater, makes me go down rabbit holes to research, you know, all of the things. Um, it's a lot of fun. And and I think it makes me a better thinker, writer, be able to talk about it more. And it makes me a better creator as well. So thank you. Uh, the, the finale brought us all back together in the room where we started. And Peter Pan and Captain Hook, they, like, they duel to the death. And it was super exciting, right? But it was also very, very emotional. And what was really interesting, and I was looking around, and it was all grown-ass adults in the room. Like, we're cheering on Peter Pan, like with heartfelt clapping and cheering and putting our hands in the air. All adults as this is happening. And you could tell it was so heartfelt. And it's because, number one, how great, you know, how we all connect to the story of Peter Pan, but also how much the production made us believe in the characters. Um, and we also, you know, knew, of course, Peter Pan is going to triumph and, and eventually win. So the finale was really a lot of fun. Um, and I want to just talk really quickly about the lesson here for me in the experience. And it was that reinforcement of the universal lesson that very good things can happen and very bad things can happen and they can and do coexist together all the time, right? That, and that from bad things, good things can happen and that magic and darkness are both perfectly okay. And I think we spend so much time as humans wanting everything to be good all the time. And if things aren't going great, somehow... We, we're horrible. We suck. We're not doing it right. Right. Our life is not good. But guys, life is going to continue to serve us a wide array of items from the you know universal buffet. And it's up to us where we put our focus. Right. And I want to invite you to think about think about this concept. Think about maybe not needing the darkness or the bad things to totally absent themselves from our views or our feelings in order to maintain our own alignment or in order to maintain our own way of being happy, not in spite of the bad things, but because of them and also next to them, right? Because happiness and sadness can, can and often do exists in the very same thing. And we do that a lot, right? We think that everything has to be just so in order for us to be happy, that we can only be happy or satisfied if the world will just simply stop showing us things that we don't like, like stop people cutting me off in traffic and stop, you know, doing stupid things to me and stop being a jerk and annoying me. You, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like we just want all the things to go according to how we think it should go. And so I invite you to look at your life and think about the, the magic and the darkness existing at the same time and it being totally okay. Because wanting something different than that is it's it's the equivalent of going back to that universal buffet and like taking what you want, taking all the good things you like, but demanding that all the food you don't like be removed from the buffet entirely, right? Like take it away. I don't want to see it. I can't be around it. I know it's going to get on my plate and ruin everything, right? Like, I can't, I don't want to eat cabbage. So no one else in the world can eat cabbage. I, I can't see it. 
right? And when we push away the bad things or the things that make us upset, well, number one, it attracts more things like that for us to have to deal with because law of attraction is law of attraction. And number two, it wipes away completely our own power, our own self-sovereignty, our own ability to maintain our own personal alignment without needing circumstances to be a certain way for us to be able to be happy. So again, I invite you to think about your own magic and darkness. I invite you to explore what your what your thinking needs to happen in order for you to be allow yourself to be happy. Because once you start to realize that when you assign yourself that role in your own life to make yourself happy, and you look at ways to create your own comfort, satisfaction, and happiness from you, from inside yourself, that's when things really, really change and everything opens up. So thanks for spending this time with me talking about shadow play and Peter Pan. Um, I hope you guys have an awesome week. I appreciate the time we spend together. And hey, if you feel moved, take a minute, leave us a rating and review. It really does help people just like you find our show um, and talk about the cool things that we talk about. I am Tracy Oswald, and this is Life Immersed.